This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll hear Joan Bennett, starring as the wife of a conductor of a symphony orchestra who has lost his hearing, and maybe his wife as well, on suspense. But first, from 1951, it's Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. There were so many good performers in that show. Aside from Eve Arden herself, there was, of course, the role of Osgood Conklin, played by Gail Gordon. Conklin, blustery, gruff, crooked, and unsympathetic Madison High principal. A near-constant pain to his faculty and students. And then, of course, there's Walter Denton, played by Richard Crenna, a Madison High student, well-intentioned and clumsy, with a nasally high, cracking voice, often driving Miss Brooks to school in a broken-down jalopy. And one role I've always admired was the part played by Jane Morgan, that of Mrs. Davis, Miss Brooks' unabsent-minded landlady, who had two trademarks, a cat named Minerva and a penchant for whipping up exotic and often inedible breakfasts. We'll hear her in tonight's show. But a cast member that's often mentioned uh, only a few times, in fact, he only appeared in 11 episodes, is that of Stretch Snodgrass, a dull-witted Madison High athletic star and Walter Denton's best friend, played by Leonard Smith. Now, Stretch may have been dumb, but boy, was he a great football player and basketball player. His lack of brilliance led to epic acts of forgetfulness that often resulted in trouble for Ms. Brooks. Though there's not a lot of information about Smith, it seems he started in the movies behind the camera as a cinematographer. As well as being in the cast for the radio show, he was cast as Stretch for the television show as well, and appeared in a few other movies such as That's the Way of the World, Take a Hard Ride, and High Risk. So, it's back to 1951 for our Miss Brooks and the episode Dress Code Boycott. Palm Olive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. For most teachers, the first few school days after the Easter week vacation posed a problem in readjustment to routine. But our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, didn't let the idiosyncrasies of her pupils dampen her spirits one bit. No, indeed. In fact, last Friday, after my final class, I just smiled, bowed to the students, and went quietly out of my mind. <laughs> but I'm a little ahead of my story. It all started when the undergraduate body declared last week to be Let's Dress Up Week. Contained in this malevolent Mardi Gras were such jolly daily fiestas as Clashing Colors Day, in which anyone caught wearing an outfit that matched was severely punished by his or her fellow student, and Dye One Leg of Your Trousers Blue Day, <laughs> which is self-explanatory. 
By Thursday, which was girls wear slacks and boys wear one shoe only day, Mr. Conklin, our beloved principal, was fit to be tied. At a general assembly that afternoon, he sternly demanded that all these shenanigans cease. Accordingly, I had my landlady, Mrs. Davis, wake me a little earlier than usual on Friday morning. But I still don't understand why you had me get you up at this unearthly hour, Connie. Why, it's only 7.15, and you're all finished with your shower and everything. Oh, not everything, Mrs. Davis. I've still got to find a pair of stockings that haven't got a run in them. Let's see if there's a pair hiding in this drawer. You see, Mrs. Davis, Mr. Conklin's in a rampage over the way the kids at school are dressing. He says it's up to us teachers to put a stop to it. How about these stockings, Connie? They have no runs in them. Let's see. Say, they are in good shape at that. Too bad they're gloves. Gloves? <laughs> gloves? Isn't it a shame? And me without a thumb on either foot? <laughs> I never saw anyone get so many torn stockings as you do. How do you do it, Connie? I have help, Mrs. Davis. That desk of mine at school has an insatiable appetite for nylon. I begged Mr. Conklin to requisition a new desk, but he says the school has more vital needs than the new desk for my room. Like what, for instance? Like a new desk for his room. <laughs> oh, here's a pair of stockings I can wear. The runs are all in the back. Good. <laughs> now I'll make you some breakfast and... Oh, that reminds me. I forgot to tell you something while you were in the bathroom, Connie. What's that, Mrs. Davis? Oh, it's terrible how absent-minded I'm becoming. Why, I'm getting to be as bad as my sister, Angela. She can't remember a thing, poor dear. I know, Mrs. Davis, but what was it you forgot to tell me? It was about a phone call, Connie. I guess these little lapses of memory just run in my family, although Mother wasn't so bad. I'm glad. Now, about this phone call, Mrs. Davis. What phone call? <laughs> the one I received while I was in the bathroom. What a strange place to receive a phone call. I didn't receive it, Mrs. Davis. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I'll start breakfast now. <laughs> oh, uh, Connie. Yes, Mrs. Davis? Walter Denton phoned while you were in the bathroom. <laughs> he said he's going to be unavoidably detained, but he's sending Stretch Snodgrass to drive you to school. Stretch Snodgrass? Yes. Why? I didn't know he could drive. He's a wonderful athlete, of course, but driving a car requires a certain amount of brain power. In some states, that is. <laughs> he isn't a very bright student, I know, but Stretch is a nice boy, Connie. He really looks up to Walter Denton, doesn't he? Scholastically, that shouldn't cause him any eye strain. Oh, stay there, Mrs. Davis. I'll answer it. Well, it's Harriet Conklin. Come in, Harriet. Thanks, Miss Brooks. I'll just take a minute to tell you what I want. It's that black dress with the green trim you had to wear on Easter Sunday when you splattered eggs on your new Easter dress. The one you said you were so sick of, remember? How could I forget? But what do you want with it, Harriet? Well, I need it for domestic science class. We've got to remodel something, and I wondered if you'd mind my borrowing it. I guess it's okay, Harriet. It's right here in this chair in the hall. Well, that's convenient. What's it doing there? I was going to send it to a cleaning establishment I know that loses things pretty regularly. <laughs> Here, take it. Oh, thanks a lot, Miss Brooks. Believe me, the next time you see it, you won't recognize it. If that's a promise, you're welcome, Harriet. Bye. Goodbye. Well, that's funny. She was wearing slacks. And her father is distinctly anti-girls wearing slacks to school. Are you talking to me, Connie? Why not? I just wondered why Harriet Conklin's wearing slacks today. Coming! That must be Stretch. Greetings, Miss Brooks. I have a role. <laughs> you 
It ain't Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> Come in, Stretch. Thanks, Miss Brooks. Walter's a un uh, uh... unavoidably detained. You're going to drive me to school. That's right, Miss Brooks. Stretch, before we do anything else, I'd like to know why you're wearing that yellow and green bandana wrapped around your forehead. You know how Mr. Conklin feels about these crazy costumes. This isn't any costume, Miss Brooks. It's just to cover up a bad cut on my head. I don't want the other guys to see the bandage on it, or they'll think I'm a sissy if that's why I didn't win. Didn't win what? The hamburger-eating contest we had yesterday after school. That's how come I got a cut head. Let's take it nice and slowly. <laughs> you say you got a cut head in a hamburger-eating contest? That's right. I ate 19 of them. I ate 19 of them. Gosh, you wasn't even in the contest. <laughs> I mean, you ate 19 of them. I guess winning that contest was pretty important to you. Hmm? Oh, I didn't win. I came in fifth. Congratulations. But about the cut well, on your... like I said, I was just getting ready to eat my 20th hamburger when I began to see little circles in front of my eyes. Probably onion rings. <laughs> then everything got kind of dark, and I slowly toppled off my stool onto my head. And you know something? Those other guys in the contest kept right on eating hamburgers. If it hadn't been for that, I'd have won first prize, sure. Just for the record, Stretch, what was the first prize? A banana split. <laughs> That did it. I won't be eating any breakfast today, Mrs. Davis. Let's go, Stretch. And so, class, we have time for just about one more question, which is, how would you describe, as tersely as possible, the finish of Shakespeare's King Lear? Why, Stretch, your hand is up. What's your answer? What does tersely mean? Well, that's a good answer. Tersely means briefly, Stretch. Now, how did King Lear finish? He flipped his lid, didn't he? What? <laughs> Flew his cork. You know, snapped his cap. So the fellas with the net came for him. You know, they'll be here for me soon. If you're trying to say that King Lear was driven mad, Stretch, by the miserable treatment of his daughters, why... Saved by the bell. See you tomorrow, kid. Oh, oh Stretch... You wait here a minute. Yes, ma'am. Do you know where Walter Denton is? This is the first time he's missed my English class in months. He said something about being late today, Miss Brooks, on account of getting up some kind of protest stunt, he said. Protest stunt? Come in! Uh, pardon me, Miss Brooks, but am I terribly late? <laughs> no, Walter, you're a little early for the next class. Uh, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, but this is vital. Hiya, Stretch. Hi, Walter. Think up something good? A knockout. Miss Brooks, as editor of the Madison Monitor, I cannot but deplore the disciplinary action taken by Mr. Conklin in forbidding the girls at this school to wear slacks, including his own daughter. Well, they would be awfully crowded that way. <laughs> but what's the protest, Walter? You're going to wear that yellow slicker all day? Oh, no, ma'am. I'm going to take it off right now. There. Walter, you got a dress on. My dress? Walter, what in the world are you... It's my protest gesture, Miss Brooks. As editor of the Madison Monitor, I am not only a firm believer in freedom of the press, but in freedom of dress. Hence, I refuse to wear any apparel that is taboo for the distaff side of Madison. Listen to that guy talk. <laughs> Walter, you know this won't work. Mr. Conklin's upset enough as it is without your... I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. This thing is bigger than Mr. Conklin. It's... Let me look out the window a minute while I collect my thoughts. That's what Daniel Webster always did before he made a speech. As I look out upon the hallowed grounds of our beloved school, I can't help thinking of the principles upon which it was founded, 
You sound like Daniel Webster, all right, but you look like Betsy Ross. <laughs> you better take off that dress, Walter, or Mr. Con- Good morning, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin. I was just passing by and wondered if you'd done anything about these outfits. Snodgrass? Yes, Mr. Conklin? What's the meaning of that outlandish turban? It's just to cover up a cut, Mr. Conklin. I tied it too tight, but I'll take it off as soon as I can get the knots out. Well, I'll see that you do. And I... Ah, this over by the window. Now, there's a little girl who knows how to dress for school. <laughs> a simple black frock with nice green braid trim. Uh, what's your name, dear? Come, come, come. I won't bite. Now, turn around. There. Now, what's your name? Walter Denton. I see. Well, that's a lovely dress you have on, Walter. I wish some of a... That's a lovely dress you have on, Walter! Well, that's one thing about Walter. He looks good in anything he wears. Quiet! Denton, what is the meaning of this disgraceful exhibition? It's a protest, sir, against your refusing to let the girls wear slacks. In my opinion... I am not interested in your opinion, Denton. Where did you get that dress? This? Oh, this belongs to Miss Brooks. Miss Brooks! Thanks, Walter. For a minute, I thought I wasn't going to get any billing. Miss Brooks didn't lend it to me, Mr. Conklin. She'd given it to your daughter, Harriet, for a sewing class. But when I told Harriet about my protest plan, she gave it to me gladly. I can't believe it. My own flesh and blood mixed up in a nefarious scheme like this. I don't see what difference it makes what you wear, as long as you keep learning stuff. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Brooks, I believe that 70% is the passing mark in examination. That's right, Mr. Conklin. Tell me, what mark did Denton receive on his English midterm exams? Forty-five. <laughs> Boy, forty-five. What a brain. <laughs> and you, Snodgrass, what was your mark on the midterms? Well, right before I got to the last question, I broke my pencil. What was your mark, Snodgrass? Nine. Nine. You see, Mr. Conklin, what difference does it make what you wear as long as you keep learning stuff? finally suspended sentence on Walter and Stretch, but not until he had carved six or seven new notches in his blood pressure. By lunch, I was so dizzy from having been on the ball all morning that after the bell rang, I just sat at my desk with my head in my hands. Excuse me, Miss Brooks. What? Oh, it's Mr. Boynton. I didn't hear you coming, which is very unusual for me. (laughs) Your door was ajar, so I thought I'd drop in for a minute. Well, do, Mr. Boynton. Come on in. I am in. Oh, you can come in further than that. (laughs) You won't be tagged out if you take both feet off the threshold. (laughs) I just wanted to ask you to lunch, Miss Brooks. The cafeteria has meatballs today. You're just incurably romantic, aren't you? (laughs) I'll be glad to come. That is, if Mr. Conklin isn't up there on an inspection tour. Inspection tour? What do you mean, Miss Brooks? If they know what's good for them, the lamb chops will be wearing trousers instead of those little paper panties. (laughs) He's really on a clothes kick, Mr. Boynton. You needn't worry about Mr. Conklin anymore today, Miss Brooks. I just saw him a minute ago, and he told me he was going over to the Board of Education to see Mr. Stone. Mr. Stone, the president of the board? 
Maybe Mr. Conklin's been called up on the carpet. No, the Board of Education hasn't got a carpet. Just nice cement floors and an early American whipping post for naughty teachers. <laughs> I don't know what this is all about, Miss Brooks, but I'm sure you'll feel a lot better after you've had something to eat. I guess so, Mr. Boynton. Excuse us, Miss Brooks. We... Oh, hiya, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Walter. Stretch. Hi, Mr. Boynton. What can I do for you two that hasn't gotten me into enough trouble already? I just wanted to explain about the dress I borrowed from Harriet that belonged to you. In taking it off, my massive shoulders kind of shredded it. See? Oh, great. Well, it's no good to me now. Just hang it neatly in the nearest wastebasket. We thought maybe you'd want to go to lunch with us, Miss Brooks. Today is meatball day. Don't tell me you're going to dress up like meatballs now. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, Miss Brooks. We're just going to eat. You want to come? Oh, thanks just the same, Walter, but I promised to have lunch with Mr. Boynton. I'll just close up this desk and we're off for lunch. That's what I say. Just mail me a meatball special delivery. <laughs> Is it a bad rip, Miss Brooks? Oh, no. Very good. All the way. <laughs> well, any suggestions? This is terribly embarrassing. I'd better go get your sandwich until you can get your skirt repaired. Please bring a sandwich with plenty of lettuce. Lettuce? Yes, I may have to wear some. <laughs> Walter, you try and find Harriet. She may be able to loan me something to wear. Okay, Miss Brooks. Uh, Stretch, you stay here and keep Miss Brooks company Like it back. All right, Walter. Well, here we are. What do you want to do, Miss Brooks? Well, we can't dance, Stretch. <laughs> but let's try to think. That is, let's let me try to think. I got an idea, Miss Brooks. Not so loud, it'll get away. <laughs> Harriet Conklin always leaves her gym bloomers in your coat room when she's not taking phys ed, doesn't she? Why, yes, I believe she does. Then if you change into them, I could take your skirt up to the domestic science room and have it sewn up by the time lunch period is over. Stretch, I've been underestimating you grossly. I can't for the life of me see how you didn't get a mark of at least 12 on the midterms. <laughs> I look in Harriet's gym bloomers. <laughs> That's how I thought I'd look. I'll just sit up real close to the desk like this and nobody will know the difference. Well, I'll take the skirt over to the... Oh, we meet again. Oh, hello, Mr. Conklin. Uh, this is an informal call, Miss Brooks. You needn't bother rising. Don't worry, I won't. Uh, I mean, how is everything, Mr. Conklin? I just wanted to tell you, Snodgrass, what are you doing with that skirt over your arm? Skirt? Now, see here, young man. I've had about enough protest gestures for one day. Hand it over. Oh, but Mr. Conklin, it doesn't belong to him. Then to whom does it belong? It belongs to him, all right. He looks lovely in it. <laughs> this has been a very confusing day for me, but I'm trying to control myself. Hand over the skirt, boy. Or better yet, take it to my office and wait for me. I want to talk to you about that bandana you failed to remove. Yes, sir. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. I stopped in to tell you, Miss Brooks, that I've just received a call from the president of the Board of Education canceling my appointment over there. You did? I did. Instead, Mr. Stone is coming here. He is? He is. He's going to personally inspect both the student body and the faculty. The faculty? The faculty. <laughs> there seems to be an echo in here. It must be the deep ink wells. <laughs> oh. I cannot impress upon you too vehemently, therefore, the necessity for the ultimate in neatness and simplicity of apparel. Do I make myself clear? You make yourself clear, Mr. Conklin. Good. Good. Now cut that out! <laughs> I don't like to threaten people, Miss Brooks, 
But you've got to toe the mark. Oh, please don't bang on my desk, Mr. Conklin. You'll get a fistful of splinters. Oh, I'm sorry. I mustn't lose control. But you've got... Oh, excuse me. I knocked, <laughs> knocked your pen off the desk. Oh, don't bend down. I'll get it for you, Mr. Conklin. Don't bother. No bother, no bother at all. I'll just kneel down here and I'll get... Good heavens! <laughs> Something wrong? This floor is filthy. <laughs> Look at the knees of my trousers. Dust and chalk marks. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Conklin. Let me see if I can reach that uh, There's an just... easier way, Miss Brooks. The desk is on casters. You just roll it out of the way. But, Mr. Conklin, you... Ah, uh, here it is. Now I'll... Miss Brooks. <laughs> what are you doing in those bloomers? Well, it's like this, Mr. Conklin. On Decoration Day, the drama class is putting on a play. Poppycock. No, sir. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> and I've been asked to play the part of the prince, and dress rehearsal is right after school. More poppycock. Yes, sir. The truth is, I ripped my skirt on this splendory old desk and just put these on till I could get something else. My goodness, Mr. Conklin, that could happen to anyone. Then why doesn't it? No, Miss Brooks, these things only happen to you. Only to you! You hear me? Oh. I'm going over to my office now and wait for Mr. Stone. And you'd better get something to put on besides those... those black laundry bags. <laughs> and so, Snodgrass, nuts or no nuts, Mr. Stone must not see you wearing that bizarre headdress, you understand? Yes, sir. I'll cut it off with the scissors. What's the errand you want to run for me, sir? Oh, I want you to run one for me. I want you to take my trousers over to the domestic science class and tell Miss Atterbury to sponge the chalk marks off the knees and give them a neat pressing. Now, you just stand right outside the door here and I'll drop the trousers over the transom. All right, Mr. Conklin. Are you directly under the transom? Yes, sir. Good. I'll just be a minute. Hello, you stretch. Hello, Harriet. Did you find anything for Miss Brooks, Walter? Not a thing that would fit her, Stretch. Gosh, well, I... excuse me, Walter, but isn't that Mr. Stone's car pulling up in front of the school? Yeah, I think it is. Mr. Stone? Gee, I'd better beat it. I don't want him to catch me in this bandana. I'll come back after I cut it off. So long. I don't see why all this fuss is being made over what we wear. Well, that's not important right now, Harriet. And I wish to heaven we could find something for Miss Brooks to wear. She's the one who re... Ooh. Walter! Well, something just landed on your head. What do you know? It's a pair of pants. <laughs> Let's take them over to Miss Brooks right away. But I don't understand. A pair of pants couldn't just come flying down. Hurry it, please. Who are we to argue with heaven? <laughs> well, they're a little dusty, but they're better than the bloomers. You look like an ad for trims in those slacks, Miss Brooks. Real slim. Of course, you don't fill them out all over, but... Well, why don't you take a couple of geography books and put them in... Never mind. <laughs> I only have to wear them until I can get my torn skirt out of Mr. Conklin's office and have it fixed. Right now, though, he's still too angry. Well, I cut the bandana off. Now I can... Say, what are you doing in Mr. Conklin's pants, Miss Brooks? Mr. Conklin's pants? Yeah. I was going to get them pressed for him, but Mr. Stone came by well, and Walter, I... this is awful. You took Daddy's trousers... And now he must be marooned in his office in his shorts. Gee, I'm sorry, Harriet, but I didn't know they were his. Oh, well, calm down, kids. We'll get everything straightened out. I beg your pardon, but is this Miss Brooks' room? Mr. Stone. Well, yes, sir, I'm Miss Brooks. We've met several times. In fact, I spent my Easter vacation working at the Board of Education. Miss Brooks, 
Do you always dress this way at school? Oh, no, sir. I dress this way all the time. That is, these even aren't my trousers. I... They're not hers, Mr. Stone. They belong to Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Mr. Conklin? But how does he feel about you wearing his trousers? Chilly. <laughs> right now, he must be pretty annoyed, Mr. Right Stone, but now, I'm... Right re- now, you're coming across the hall to his office, Miss Brooks. Oh, but Mr. Stone, Mr. Conklin doesn't expect us. Somebody ought to go on ahead. I'll go, Miss Brooks. You children will sit down in this room and be still. Now then, Miss Brooks, after you. You certainly are. I'm coming, Mr. Stone. Here's the door to his office. Now go on in. I'd better knock first. No, no, don't come in. Just a minute. Wait, please. Don't stand there, Miss Brooks. Go on in. Pardon me, Mr. Conklin, but I was forced to see you How right How dare away. you come bursting into my office like this? And in my trousers! Where did you... How did you... How did Just you? a moment, Osgood. No, Mr. Stone. <laughs> you should not berate Miss Brooks for what she's wearing, Osgood. After all, you've got a badly torn skirt on, Osgood. If I were you, I... A badly torn skirt on, Osgood... What is the meaning of this? I can explain everything, Mr. Stone. You can? I mean, of course you can. I know you can, Miss Brooks. Go ahead. Explain it. You see, Mr. Stone, each year on Decoration Day, the Drama Club gives a play. This year it's called It Also Happens to You. Isn't that right, Mr. Conklin? Anything. I mean, yes, yes. (laughs) Yes. It also happens to me. What about Uh, this play? Well, faculty and students both take part, and Mr. Conklin's going to act in one of the very important scenes. A scene called Poppycock on Parade. Yes, yes, that's it. It's a beautiful scene. It's a lovely scene. Yes. But this torn <laughs> What has this torn uh, skirt... Rehearsal, rehearsal. There's a rehearsal right after school in full costume. I was just getting ready. That's right, Mrs. Stone. Mr. Conklin plays the part of a lonely native girl on Poppycock Island. It's one of the Hawaiian group. One of the smaller ones. <laughs> What is all this? If you're pulling my leg, Osgood, I'll... Oh, I don't think Mr. Stone is convinced you're a thespian, Mr. Conklin. Perhaps you'd better do the little dance you do in the show. (laughs) Dance? You know, where your lover leaves you all alone on the beach. I'll supply the music, Mr. Conklin. Oh, you love this, Mr. Stone. It's done to the theme song of the play. It also happens to you. Hoof, Mr. Conklin. (laughs) Now together. It also happens to you. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Conklin was so grateful to me for getting him out of his embarrassing situation that he canceled all punishments and the entire matter was dropped. That night, I was sitting in the living room with Mrs. Davis when the phone rang. And of all people, it was Mr. Stone. About that play the drama club is putting on, Miss Brooks. Will you be kind enough to hold a dozen seats for me? I'm bringing the entire board of education. The entire Board of Education? Yes. I want them to see Osgood Conklin do that dance in that costume. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to seeing you, too, Miss Brooks. Where will you be after the show? 
Mr. Stone, if Mr. Conklin does that dance in that costume, I'll be swimming like mad for Poppycock Island. Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Leonard Smith, and Earl Ross. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North. The exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Life with Luigi, which follows over most of these stations. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Suspense next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Suspense on Theater of the Mind. Tonight's show stars Joan Bennett. In the New York Times obituary, she was said to be one of the most underrated actresses of her time. I think you'll enjoy her performance in tonight's Suspense production entitled Overture in Two Keys. Suspense! Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Miss Joan Bennett in Overture in Two Keys, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spears. Roma Wines bring you Joan Bennett in a remarkable tale of suspense. Are you feeling any better now? You know what I've been wondering, lying here? What's that, Mrs. Allen? Are you really a nurse? Why, of course. All that stuff you keep giving me to make me sleep, it doesn't. You'd be asleep in no time, Mrs. Allen, if you'd only make up your mind to it. It's all in your mind, you know. That's funny. You saying that to me. Now then, Mrs. Allen, you mustn't keep talking. That's how it was with him. All in his mind. That's why I couldn't help him. That's why nobody in the world could help him. I know that now. But I couldn't bring myself to admit it until last night. You know where I was last night? I was at the Hollywood Bowl. It should have been the proudest night of my life. I was waiting for my husband to enter the stage and take his place as the leader of a great orchestra. Yes, I should have felt proud, but all I could feel was fear. It wasn't a new fear. It was an old fear. As old as our lives together. It began nearly two years ago. Ira and I had driven to the Pasadena station to meet a new pupil of his in from the east. I didn't have any reason to believe that this new arrival would be any different from the dozens of others who come every year to live with us and study music with my husband. Ira, I don't see him anywhere. Don't you know what he looks like? Huh? What's that, my dear? Oh, never mind. Say, that looks like it might be him over there. Uh, excuse me. Are you looking for Professor Whitmer? Oh, Professor Whitmer. Yeah, I'm uh, Mark Allen. Uh, you'll have to talk to my wife. I can't hear you just now. 
Glad to know you, Mrs. Whitman. How do you do? You know those uh, streamlined hearing devices you see advertised in the papers all the time, Mr. Allen? I I have one, but like an idiot, I left it at home. Well, that's uh, something Beethoven would have liked to have been able to say, Professor. <laughs> yes. But you know, Mr. Allen... I think he'd rather have put up with being plain dead. Excuse me, sir, but what about your bank? We have our car with us, Mr. Allen. Right, sir. Just taking the car, will you? Will you look after Mr. Allen's bag, my dear? I just did. It's the one right here. Just put the bags in the back. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Here you are. Oh, thank you, sir. I guess we can all ride in the front, can't we? After you, Mrs. Woodman. See, Mr. Allen, my wife takes care of everything. That's what poor old Beethoven needed. Good, dependable wife. Is this your first visit to California, Mr. Allen? That's right. Never been further west than Chicago before in my life. Well, you'll find the climate a nice change anyway. What about you, Mrs. Whitmer? You, uh, native of California? Not exactly, but the professor and I have lived here ever since we were married. It's a great tragedy. A great conductor losing his hearing like that. Oh, it doesn't worry him so much, now that he has his own protégés. Must be hard on you, though, sometimes. Why should it be hard on me? Oh, I just thought it might be. That's all. By the way, uh, what's your first name, Mrs. Whitmer? Why, uh, Frenzy. You mind if I call you that? Sometimes? Why, of course not. You can call me anything you like, Mr. Allen. Ira, there's the bell. Huh? What's that, my dear? There's a train coming. Oh, oh, yes. (laughs) Thank you, my dear. I didn't give you a scare, Mr. Allen. I really shouldn't be driving without that fool device. Uh, my dear, would you like to drive? You drive. We're almost home now anyway. Is uh, this where we live? Uh-huh. This is Brooksville. Nice little town we live in. I certainly hope you'll enjoy it, Mr. Allen. I'm sure I will. Franzi. <laughs> That's all there was to it. And yet if he'd asked me to go away with him to Timbuktu that night, I'd have gone. But he didn't. He didn't ask me anything. He just watched me. Not like the musical genius he was supposed to be. He was rough and hard and strong. A kid from the wrong side of the tracks. A kid like me. And I was watching him. I was watching him all the time until one morning, Ira had gone into L.A. for the day. I was in the kitchen washing up the breakfast dishes. And he was supposed to be up in his room composing. But he wasn't composing any more than I was washing dishes. He was waiting for me to go up to him. He didn't have to wait long. Oh, pardon me. Why, uh... Come on in, Mrs. I was looking for my husband. He, uh... went to the concert at the Philharmonic. He did? Oh, I wanted him to do an errand for me. Well, that's too bad. Oh, well, it'll have to wait until next week now, I suppose. He, uh, might remember and call you. He might. That's nice. What's it called? It's an overture. Overture and two keys. Oh. You asked me that before. At breakfast. Remember? Oh, yes, so I did. I'd forgotten. But look at me. Why, the professor would kill me if he caught me wasting your time like this. 
Maybe that's one reason you waited until he was out of the way. Well. You want to hear the other reason? It's been on your mind ever since that first day at the station. Only you figured you'd wait. Let me make the first move. It's the way a dame always figures. Until she meets the right guy. Meaning you? I don't mean Santa Claus. What does that make me? Come here, darling. You like to play hard to get, don't you? <sighs> Am I so hard to get? I've been going crazy. What do you think I've been doing? When does he get back? Late. How late? Never before six. Hello, darling. Six o'clock came too soon that night. It always came too soon. I think I dreaded that clock more than I dreaded Ira. We couldn't cheat on the clock. But with Ira, well, taking care of Ira wasn't a problem for any Einstein. But Mark was the one who had to do it. Mark had to fix it so that earphones or no earphones, Ira would be deaf, as deaf as an adder. Sometimes I couldn't understand why Mark got so upset over that part of it. He used to tell me that I never would understand. I wasn't a musician and I wasn't deaf. Well, anyway, I had plenty of other things to feel bad about. We both did. We were like two shipwrecked sailors dying of thirst and all we got to drink was salt water. You can stand that kind of thirst just so long. Hello. Hello yourself. Keep on playing. Oh. Isn't he gone yet? He just called off his L.A. appointment. What's up? Oh, he thinks he's in for the flu or something. Anyway, he's staying home all day. Lock the door, baby. Keep the germs out. Mark. Yeah? He was talking about you. He said you decided to cut the course. I've taken in all about... about all he can teach me. Besides, the dough's running short. You're lying. But I'm glad you're lying. Mark, take me with you. We can go away together. Where? New York, Chicago. It doesn't matter. He'd follow us. You know that. The kind of guy who'd track us down to the end of the earth. I wouldn't mind. I would. I'd mind plenty. You mean your career as the great conductor? That makes me a heel, doesn't it? That makes you like the rest of them. That's all Ira thinks about, his career. He cares about as much for me okay, as... Okay, okay. As far as the law is concerned, you're Professor Whitmer's wife. And there isn't anything we can do about it. Isn't there, Mark? Nothing that makes sense. Mark? Does it make any sense to you? I've thought about it. You wanted to hear me say it, though. Didn't you? Don't look at me like that. Then you'd be sure I was crazy about you. Mark. Come here. If we only didn't feel this way every time. We do. Don't we? Every time. Hello. Darling. Ira. I must apologize for lowering myself to the role of an eavesdropper. Ira, please. Then it's also regrettable that you, Mr. Allen, should presume that my affliction would affect my powers of observation. For that matter, my tolerance. You'll kindly make arrangements to leave my house. I guess that's about the way it is, Professor. I've already taken the liberty, or, or should I say the precaution, of reserving a ticket to New York. We have 40 minutes to get to the Pasadena station. Oh, I must talk to you. Undoubtedly, my dear. But Mr. Allen is going to catch his train. I must go get the car. You might help Mr. Allen with his packing. 
time do you have? Five to eleven. Yeah. We can just make it. Mark, you're not really going. Put Mark! my music case. No, it's right there on the piano. Well, what about the rest of your junk? Are you leaving that behind the suit? It's only until I can send you a forwarding address. At least you can tell me where you're going. You heard him. New York. There's a car now. Oh, Mark. Yeah? Mark, let me know if, if you should change your mind. I won't have to let you know, Franzie. I haven't changed my mind. After he left, I remember looking at the alarm clock beside his bed. It said 11 o'clock. Then I thought about what I'd be doing tomorrow at 11 o'clock, and the day after that, and the next week, and the next year. 11 o'clock for all the rest of my life would be the time he walked out of that door. I wanted to cry, but I couldn't. I just sat there listening to the clock. I must have sat there without moving for hours. Then I heard the bell. My first thought was it was Ira. Automatically, I got up and walked downstairs to answer it. Hey, ma'am, you Mrs. Whitmer? That's right. Lieutenant Scott, police headquarters. Now, you know this gentleman here? Oh, yes. Uh, you must get ready for some bad news, Mrs. Whitmer. My husband? Yes, ma'am, there's been an accident. Lieutenant, I'm an old friend of the family. Maybe you better let me tell her. You'll have to give me some address then, Mr. Allen. Call me here. Pasadena 1213. That's only a matter of the next few days, you understand? I'll stay in town as long as you need me. Pasadena 1213. All right, Mr. Allen. Good day, Mrs. Whitmer. Goodbye. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Mark. Oh, Mark, I thought I was never going to see you again. Didn't you? I think I want to sit down a minute. Mark, tell me. What happened? Quickly. It was... It was pretty terrible. I, I told him a couple of times to take it easy. We must have done 70 when we hit the main drag. Maybe that's why I didn't recognize where we were. Anyway, I wouldn't have known we were that close to the crossing until I heard the bell... He still had time. If he'd thrown on his brakes when I hollered at him, it would have been all the time in the world. Maybe he thought he could make it, or maybe he just didn't hear me. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. It was, it was too late to grab the wheel. It was too late to do anything. That was when I jumped. Mark. The next thing I knew, there were cops all over the place. There was a doc there, too. I'd been here hours ago if I hadn't had to convince him that I didn't need any ambulance. And Ira? And those cops, they asked more questions. Mark. Then. I asked you about Ira. Ira didn't need any ambulance either, Franzi. He was dead. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Joan Bennett in Overture in Two Keys. Roma Wines presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Joan Bennett as Franzi Whitmer, with Howard Duff as Mark Allen in Overture in Two Keys, a tale well calculated to keep you in Suspense. They held the inquest at the house. It took the coroner less than three minutes to return the verdict. Accidental death. 
I thought we should wait. But Mark said it wouldn't make any difference. If people were going to talk, they'd talk anyway. So a couple of weeks later, we drove down to Yuma and got married. During the ceremony, I felt a little like laughing and much more like crying. And let me tell you, if you ever get married in one of those Yuma wedding chapels, you'll feel like crying too. On the outside, there are neon lights to tell you how they do business day and night. And on the inside, everything is strictly like a funeral parlor. Artificial lilies, incense. And, of course, an organ. And do you, Franzi Whitmere, take this man as your lawfully wedded husband to happen to hold this day forward? I do. Uh, and do you, Mark Allen, take this woman as your lawfully wedded wife? Hmm? Mark. Uh, what? I do, I do. Uh, <clears throat> I repeat, do you, Mark Allen, take this uh, woman? Uh, yes. To happen to hold from this day forward until death do you pass? Poor Mark. I kidded him afterwards about fluffing his lines, and he acted very serious about the whole thing and tried to make out that he didn't hear that particular part. Well, I guess every man thinks that those words are written just to make him nervous, and every woman thinks they are written just for her. At least I know I did. At first, we were as happy as any two people could possibly be. And then, it wasn't that anything changed, but I began to worry about Mark. It was as though he were expecting something. Sometimes when he thought I wasn't watching him, it almost seemed as though we were listening for something. A couple of nights ago, we had the party. It was kind of a send-off for Mark's debut at the bowl. And it was a very Tony affair. All the long You can just imagine my humiliation, Mr. Allen. Right in the middle of Mimi's death scene, too. And afterwards, he had the nerve to tell me there was nothing wrong with his voice. It was stage fright. Oh, I could have slaughtered that head off. Uh, if you'll excuse me, uh, Madam Tetra, I think my wife wants Oh, there, me. darling. Fine. Can't we get rid of these people? Eventually, I suppose. Uh, here comes Donnelly. Maybe he'll know how to cut it short. Well, it looks like a good party. You see, Miss Allen, you get an important manager and all the important artists visit your home. Now, can you get them all out of my home? Oh, no, you can't disappoint your public, Mark. Uh, what about playing something to sort of wind up the evening, eh? How about the overture? I won't. I know it won't sound on the piano, but after all, it is a thing. Now, where is he going? You asked him to wind up the evening, didn't you? But how can I make an announcement if he doesn't tell me what he's going to play? It wasn't anything important. Phone calls that come at a moment like that never are. It was just someone who wanted to wish Mark good luck tomorrow night. I said thanks and hung up. It wasn't until I was halfway back up the stairs that I knew something had gone wrong. Oh, my dear, you should have seen his face. It looked more like a frog to me. What happened? Uh, there's nothing to be alarmed over. Where, where's my husband? Uh, he's upstairs, uh, resting. What's the matter with him? Nothing at all, my dear. Really nothing at all. He was a little uh, overtired, so he went upstairs. If you ask me, Mrs. Allen, it's a plain case of stage for us. Well, I was telling him only this... I didn't wait for the rest. When I found him, he was just lying there, staring into the darkness. I wanted to hold him in my arms and tell him that no matter what, he was my guy. But I didn't. 
I didn't say a word, neither did he. It seemed like a long while later when I woke up. I didn't want to wake up. I was tired, dead tired, so tired that waking up hurt me all over. Only this time, it hurt more than usual. Then suddenly, I was sitting upright in bed, with a chill running straight up my spine. The sound came from the music room. I fumbled for the light, but that didn't tell me anything I didn't know already. Mark's bed was empty. Somehow, I got out of bed and walked downstairs. I kept walking, till I was standing outside the music room door. If I'd been standing at the bar of judgment, I would have still said the same prayer. That the door would be locked, but it wasn't locked. The room was in darkness, except for the small lamp on the table. And there, looking like something out of a horror picture, sat my husband. I couldn't see his face, only his hands flying up and down in the lamplight. His knuckles were wet with blood. Mark! 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 Oh, darling, darling, I had to do it. I had to do something. Talk to me. Keep on talking to me. What do you want me to say? Just keep talking. And hold my hand. Your hands, oh, darling, look at your hands. Mark, tell me what's wrong. I don't understand. Everything was fine until I left the room to answer the phone. Is it a phone bell? I didn't hear any phone. Mark. I wouldn't have even known you'd come upstairs if it hadn't been for your perfume. Even then, I didn't believe it. Then I, I came down here. I played like this. I couldn't hear. And I played louder. I still couldn't hear. I, I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear. Darling, don't, don't. You're all right now. Mark, it's awfully late. What time is it? Four o'clock in the morning. It's funny. You do it too. What did I do? Listen to see if your watch is going. Must be a reflex action. Even he did it. Mark. Always reminded me of Nelson putting his telescope to his blind eye. I don't suppose you understand about that. Even if you'd loved him, you'd never have known what it meant for a musician. To be deaf. Mark, there's only one thing I know or care about. I don't care about anything else in this world. I just don't care. Fran? Yes? You know, don't you? Yes, Mark. You've always known, haven't you? Yes, I suppose I have. I'm sorry, Fran. For you. Oh, Mark, I told you I don't care. I don't care about anything but you. Has an awful sound. Murder. As I sat watching him walk across the great stage of the Hollywood Bowl, I wanted to pray. But I knew I hadn't even the right to do that. All I could do was think of what he must be thinking. How he must have timed it to the split second. How he must have snipped the wire on the earphone so Ira wouldn't notice it. How he must have felt when they were coming to the railroad crossing and he heard the warning bell and Ira couldn't. Ira couldn't hear anything. Mark had planned it that way. He had killed my husband because he couldn't hear a little bell.
me through, please. Please, I have to get through. I'm sorry, lady. Uh, Mr. Allen isn't receiving any visitors. I'm his wife. Oh, of course. Uh, this way, Miss Allen. Oh, thank heaven. Really, I must... No, that's all right, Doctor. Mrs. Allen, the press are outside. You must talk to them. Ma. I heard the bell. Darling, it's all right. It's all right. I'm here with you. It's me, Frenzy. Oh, didn't you hear it? Gander rang as I entered the stage. It was the bell. <laughs> It took us an hour to get him to make any sense, and then suddenly he was all right. As all right as I've ever seen him in my life. The doctor was as pleased as an old midwife and insisted that it was the sedative that had done the trick. I wish he'd been right. But you see, by then I was beginning to see what was wrong with Mark. And I knew that all the doctors in the world wouldn't do him any good. But I still dared to hope that somehow I could. All right, come on, let's go. Well, don't you want me to drive home? Oh, I'm okay now. Oh, oh, you mustn't cry, baby. I'm okay now. Oh, that's why I can cry, you goof. Mark. Yeah? Let's go away from here right away to Canada or someplace for a year longer if you want. Even if you don't even look at a note of music, it doesn't matter. You'll be right away from everything and then it won't happen anymore. I know it. If you'll only get away, right away. Even from me, if that will help. Where should we go? Uh, Florida? New York? Oh, darling. You know, it's about time you saw something else but palm trees. Let's make a New England. Up around Vermont or something. <laughs> we'll have to get you a sleeping bag or you die of cold. I love you. Me too. Why don't you let me drive? You can't with one hand. I can too. Mark, you know, I was wondering, can you get double sleeping bags in Vermont? Mark, Mark, you better slow down yeah, if you... Yeah, maybe uh, Canada. Mark, uh -huh. we're coming to the crossing, there's a train. There. Mark! They say you can almost hear how quiet it is some places in the woods up there. Mark! Fire! That's how the music ended. They told me today that he was dead before they got us to the hospital. I'm going to live. Isn't that swell? Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma, America's favorite wines. This is Ken Niles returning to our stage with a lovely star of tonight's suspense play, glamorous favorite of movie-going millions, but a newcomer to suspense fans, Miss Joan Bennett. Welcome to the suspense family, Joan, and congratulations. Your performance was wonderful. Thank you, Ken, but I'd like to share some of the compliments with Howard Duff, who played the composer so wonderfully. And as a token of our appreciation, here's a gift basket of Roma wines from Roma, America's greatest vintner. Thank you, Ken, and thanks to Roma. Among the fine Roma wines in your gift basket, Joan, is Roma Muscatel, a wine to add warmth to your welcome when friends drop in. A delightful taste treat with desserts, too. Rich in the tempting fragrance and distinctive taste of the world-famous Muscat grape, Better-tasting Roma Muscatel is a mellow, satisfying wine born in California, 
praised by Americans from coast to coast. Yes, Ken, Roma Muscatel certainly is delicious. And here's why, Joan. Roma Muscatel, like all Roma wines, begins with choicest grapes. Then Roma Vintner Skill and America's finest winemaking resources guide these luscious grapes unhurriedly to tempting taste perfection. Later, along with Roma wines of years before, this rich grape treasure awaits selection from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. No wonder more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. You've convinced me. And now may I remind our listeners of something? 1946 saw the worst epidemic in 30 years of infantile paralysis. We must fight this brutal child crippler and guarantee medical care and treatment to all victims. Join the March of Dimes. Send your dimes and dollars care of your local March of Dimes headquarters today. Thank you and good night. Joan Bennett appeared through the courtesy of Diana Productions, producers of The Secret Beyond the Door. Tonight's suspense play was written by Pamela Wilcox and Malvin Wall. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Roddy McDowell as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Stay tuned for the thrilling adventures of the FBI in peace and war following immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.